Let's take care of some price for Friday, February 16th, 2024. Coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're going to a game, want to make it a staycation, call the wall, 604-331-1000. Ask for the Sakarison Price rate. Some blackout dates may apply. Matt Sakaris with Blake Price, Grady Sass, hitting switches, conducting things in this show. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. If you haven't taken the Nissan Rogue for a test drive, highly recommend you doing so. Applewood Nissan in Richmond, the Richmond Auto Mall, can take you through it. The 2023s have great deals right now. 24-month lease. 0% on select trims. Take it for a short-term test drive and uh, maybe a 24-monther as well at Applewood Nissan in Richmond. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today. Is this the most fun you've had watching the Vancouver Canucks? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price Twitter and YouTube. Now, you and I are both old enough that we cover the 2011 playoff run. So I'm voting no just because the playoffs are the most fun, right? And that was... Yeah, but it's season long. Season long. So you voted yes? I'm going to vote yes because I wow. I, I actually think, Whoa. and it, it's not it, more so than the Chicago first round in 2011. That's a, that's a moment in time. Round, the San Jose stanchion goal. Those are moments in time. The question is, you know, for a season. You know, and, and this team has goaltending. Yeah, both teams had goaltending. Mm-hmm. This team has scoring. Yeah, both teams have scoring, although I think you could make the argument that these guys might score a bigger variety of goals than the Sedins did. And then this team has something that the other team did not have. The best defenseman in the league dazzling us mm-hmm. with a floor routine right. that is Now that you explain it, a floor routine. <laughs> It's it's like <laughs> stars on ice every time Quinn Hughes jumps over the board. He's great on the pommel horse as well. Yes, um, he is. Uh, let's see how he vaults. Uh, Grady, where are you at? I want to see the playoffs yeah. first. Yeah. Honest to God, you guys. No, but the spectacle, the, the energy, the electricity of the playoffs, it's also around town. It's the only topic. All your friends are involved, even the casuals, so... I just I think you forget that partner. It doesn't mean that years. we're not having fun. No, exactly. I will say this though: in previous years, especially around this time of the season, watching games felt like a chore. Either teams because they were horrific defensively, and you sat there and went, "How can professionals look like this?" Or I'm thinking the Willie Desjardins, Travis Green era, where they just can't score goals. dot com. Remember. Well, and if you, they went down two, you turn the TV off. Oh. You know, if you, they go down two now. Like, they've been down two goals yes. a lot lately. It's not over. No. And, frankly, those two-goal leads are reasonably safe these days. Now, did you, now, that being said, did you happen to notice the Canucks are barely on the podium for the top scorers in the league now? They've been bumped down. Yeah. They're only the third leading scoring team in the National oh, are they really, Is it down yeah. to third? Yeah. So, uh, hey, you know, but they're playing closer to playoff style of hockey now. And, and I just mean the, their their opponents are as well. The games are a little bit more reminiscent. You know, you're not playing October hockey in February. Mm-hmm. You're just not going to you're not going to see that. So uh, I'm OK with it. I have them tied for second with the Colorado Avalanche. 3.69 goals per game, just shy of Dallas. 
Stars I suppose, I was going by the standings, which I think include your shootout winners, so I think that might be oh, the uh, okay. problem. Yeah. Uh, right, because Colorado has two shootout winners, and the Canucks do not have yeah, a I've got Dallas and Colorado, winner. two right. above. Yeah. Right. Well done. Yes. Uh, so anyways, vote on the poll question. It's been a ton of fun one way or the other. Let's get to our big story. It's brought to you by Mr. Lube, the Canucks, with a 4-1 victory over the Detroit Red Wings Thursday night. Coming off the five-game road trip. In fact, the first home game here in three weeks. Now, 37, 12, and 6, 80 points. They are six clear of the aforementioned Dallas Stars, Florida Panthers, Boston Bruins, atop the league standings. They're playing 727 hockey. They are the only team above 700 winning percentage. It's a pinch-me moment. Their Their 33 regulation wins are three better than next best Florida. Their plus 61 is 18 better than next best Florida. They have 37 wins. They had 38 all of last season. And they have once again established a 17-point lead over the Edmonton Oilers. Wow. Who didn't lose for like two months. Imagine being the Oilers. Unbeaten in se- sixteen games, and they're looking. We're now, still Edmonton seventeen. Has five back. games in hand, so there is some context there. But win them all, and you're still seven shy. Yeah, uh, they're twelve up on Vegas, who again has two games in hand. But hey, Vegas, win them all. You're still eight back. It's unbelievable, and they did it with a different line. And that's the thing is that they don't seem to get two lines going on any given night. But this team is so skilled at the top or skilled pretty much everywhere that they only need one line. They're a one line team, Matt. It's just mm-hmm. that every night it's a different one line. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Fair we, which is, which is okay. I don't think you're, I don't think you're terribly upset well, with that. No, model. I think in the playoffs, you need two lines going on any given night. Well, I mean, unless going, you're going to yes. be rock solid defensively, give up almost nothing. I, I, I think, one line at five and five in your power play, and I think that's good yeah, enough. Okay, fair enough. No, the power play hasn't been going, but I don't think it's that far behind. And the, you know, they get a win first game back from a road trip. They get a win against a team that might have had something to play for after Zadorov's hit on mm-hmm. Raymond, and they still overcome all those odds and get the victory. That's our top star. Brought to you by Mister Lube, hundred percent Canadian. Started in Edmonton by father and son. I'm somebody's a Mister Lube there. And now providing tire service and sales with no appointments as well. 16 locations in the lower mainland, one near you. Go to MrLube.com. Three assists for Elias Pettersson. He takes the team lead from JT Miller with 72 points. Miller with a goal gets to 70. Two goals for the new guy, Elias Lindholm. His second two-goal performance as a Vancouver Canuck. Canuck, 27 saves from Thatcher Demko. And Blake, they kill off... All five Red Wing power play opportunities. They have crested 80% penalty killing, and that is not a number they have been at for years. I mean, it's been two straight years where we've talked about how atrocious the penalty killing units have been and how it's been a big reason why the Canucks have sucked. Was the seven-minute kill in Detroit? Was that the the seven-minute kill? I think that was in Detroit, Mm -hmm. wasn't it? Yeah, like, after there's the door off, yeah. kicked out. Raymond. Yeah. So, I mean, ever since, like, since that moment, I think that was the we figured this thing out moment for me of the penalty kill. 
And oh, but it's been going. It's well been going for better since then. But that, to me, mm. that was flag in the ground. We've we've yeah. got this now. Thirteenth in the league in penalty killing. Fifteenth in net penalty killing. And the other thing, and Grady noted this on Twitter. Man, the vibes are back at Rogers Arena. Mm-hmm. Like the full houses are back. The atmosphere, the energy is back. Here's the goaltender Thatcher Demko on getting back home to Rogers Arena. Love, love being back home tonight. It's, uh, it's been a long time, obviously, through the break and then that long road trip. So it felt good to be back here in, in our dressing room and in front of our fans. And, of course, their first game at home since January 27th, as Thatcher noted, they went on the All-Star break and then they went on the five-game road trip. And between that, it's been a long time since they've played a game. Joy's, Joy is a hell of a drug. They'll play nine of them. Um, in March on this incredible homestand. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever seen a nine-game homestand, but here we are. Uh, Saturday versus the Jets, which is a test because the Jets have found their legs again. They scuffled for a couple of weeks, but they seem to be figuring things out again and have a great goaltender. So uh, it, you know, they, it, it's only a little touchdown here at home before they go back out on an easy road trip in terms of travel. Um, and then they really get the home cooking going. Uh, in addition to the nine game homestand in March, they've got some home games coming up here. Um, it'll. I mean, you just. I, I'm shaking my head because that's all I can do. Like this team just continues to meet the mm-hmm. challenges that are laid out before them. Now the, the opponents coming up, whether it's home or away, are getting pretty good here. Mm-hmm. So. That's going to be the test now is a pretty consistent barrage of decent opponents. What are the what do they look like when it's coming every night from good teams? I want to spend a minute here on Nikita Zadorov, and we're going to show the gritty dance in a second and uh, the aftermath, if you will, of these two games against the Red Wings in quick succession. But I don't want it, this to go unmentioned. Did you hear what he said? Yeah, loved it. With regards to the hit on Lucas Raymond Saturday in Detroit, in which he got a two-game suspension. Quote, it was a bad hit. Completely missed him. It was clearly had contact there and went on to say he deserved the suspension. What an honest and honorable comment from a National Hockey League player who had run afoul of the rules. If they could all be like Nikita Zadorov with regards to accountability and responsibility yeah. when you make a bad play. Yeah. I've never quite heard an NHL player put it that cleanly in terms of a my bad. You know what you often hear from a bigger guy who gets caught with that sort of a hit? You know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, like, I, I'm just way taller than that guy. Well, you know, you, we've heard all these excuses before. Haven't seen it yet. Game happens fast. On and on they go. I got a piece of his chest. Yeah. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Like, There's so many easy things for him to lean on and for him to just say, I mm-hmm. missed. And you can see, like, he was looking. You, uh, you could look at that play and see what he was trying to do. He was trying to make a clean check across. It was a valiant effort, but he missed. Mm-hmm. And he's he's got to pay the price, and he, he knew that. It's great. And I got to say, um, when you couple what Nikita Zadorov has said about the situation going on back home for him, and if you missed this earlier in the year, because it happened when he was the Calgary Flame, he's been outspoken against Vladimir Putin and the Russian regime and what's going on in Ukraine. He is, to my knowledge, the only NHLer who's come out and put it as bluntly as yeah. that. He's even mentioned how it has cost him familial relationships 
because he's got family back home who have drank the Kool-Aid and succumbed to the propaganda. When you put that alongside what he said about his own play and his own indiscretion Saturday, this is an honorable guy. There is a ton of character there. And I want to applaud him, especially on a quite a day of geopolitics with Russia and Alexei. Yeah, my goodness. Navalny. So good on Nikita Zadorov. I only wish they and had then, cap space to resign him. Because <laughs> I don't think they do. And then we had some fun. We wondered about vengeance. Would anything spill over because of the hit on Raymond? Or because of Jake Wallman's celebration gritty dance after scoring the overtime winner on a penalty shot? And Zadorov showed us fantastic his, showed us his moves and boy was Wallman front and center oh, all yeah. game long both accidentally and purposefully I don't think uh, Elias Pettersson meant to follow through on that backhand and hit him no but a couple of other moments were certainly on purpose and you know <laughs> it had some spice I mean there's really nothing between the Red Wings and the Canucks except for last the last meeting, mm -hmm. and they made that game have a little bit of jam to it. It was and good. The video there is courtesy of Sportsnet on the YouTube side. Um, I like what Grady said too. Like this is fun. This toing and froing, where nobody gets hurt, helps grow the game, or helps at least put a smile on your face, or get you angry as all heck, and that works too, right? Invoking emotion. So no, a big Nikita Zadorov fan here over the last 24, 48 hours uh, on all fronts. Thatcher Demko. And this would have been the piece de resistance, Blake, if he scores the goalie goal. He went for the empty net. Let's hear from Thatcher. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not really the guy to try it, but I figured up three. Um, that was going to be my best effort. So uh, might be my first and last try, but, uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a decent try. And that is the time to try it, up three, right? Because if you somehow clear that into a minutes. red wing and it's in the back of your net, at least you still got the two-goal lead. I forget who made the save there. It was going in. There was one red wing back, and he had a ground ball to short to two. <laughs> and I, I wonder if you talked to him after, again, I forget who it was, if he was really nervous with that rattling puck towards him. Because if you let that get through oh, you. Oh, yes. Oh, such shame. We were hoping such for a shame. Bill Buckner moment yeah, Totally, there. <laughs> totally. Between the wickets. How about this, this from Thatcher, tweeted by the NHL PR last night. He gets to 30 wins. He's the first goaltender in the National Hockey League to hit that milestone this year. Of course, Saturday he'll face Connor Hellebuck in what's effectively a Vezina Trophy showdown here. Three more games against the Jets between now and the regular season. You're two leading contenders for the Vezina Trophy. But beyond that, he's the fastest goalie to 30 wins in a season for the Vancouver Canucks. 30 wins in 40 games. And that is eight games faster than Roberto Luongo. In 0809. Who probably, you know, accomplished that even sooner in the calendar year because I think in that 0809 year is one of Luongo's game heavy years. And DeSmith's. That was pre Corey Schneider. Yeah. So, yes. And DeSmith hasn't played a ton, but I think he's probably played more than 
uh, backup in 0809. Um, I mean, it's it's a transcendent year, and he's doing it not by standing on his head. I don't mean that to demean Thatcher Demko at all. He's obviously a very positionally sound goalie. He's never uh, too acrobatic. But I don't even think we've seen the best of Demko. That's that's the strange thing. Like he's been very good. I'm not again not. To, Have we to, seen uh, Bubble Vegas Demko? Right. And I I hope to God he's sort of pacing himself a little bit in, in that regard. I mean he's certainly what he's given the Canucks right now is good enough to win a playoff series. But I think there we've seen him even be better than this. So my goodness, does that bode well for the Canucks going into the playoffs? As well, so you can talk all you want about the Canucks skaters' readiness and whether the makeup is ready for the the playoffs. They have a secret weapon. Even if you think the Canucks are missing X or Y in their lineup, when you've got a goalie like this, that negates well, a lot of the other holes and deficiencies. I, I'm going to lay a scenario out for you and scoop a future welcome mat because I've been thinking about this for a while. The Roadmaps to victories in Stanley Cup playoff series. The Vancouver Canucks have a fair number of them. That's right. Thatcher Demko is one of them, mm-hmm. right, where your goaltender steals the series, basically yep. is so hot you score enough goals and you win. Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes on a heater. Quinn Hughes taking over a playoff series. Entirely possible. Totally possible, right? yep. Where his... Puck transportation, getting it out of zone zone, so effectively you're playing offense as the best defense. Corkscrewing opposition players into the ground. Getting to the net yeah. and showing off some of those shots that we've seen mm-hmm. this year that have seemed more accurate than ever before, right? Picking corners mm-hmm. or creating for other guys. So that's the second way. You've already mentioned another one, that power play. It's cold now, but horrible now, but, but you wouldn't it's expect, been yeah. sensational earlier in the year. It's the t- sort of power play with five supremely talented offensive players. You can absolutely see that carrying a series. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's if they get the calls. And then the forwards being superstars, Elias and or JT. Yeah, the top six going Remember? off, or two of the three even, Matt. I, I think yeah. you can bring the third hey. line into the fold. Two of those three lines going off for seven days, that's all you'd need to. Like um, Chicago series in 2011. Twins and Burroughs, pretty good. Nashville series, second-line center, Ryan Kessler, took it over. Mm-hmm. Third-round series, San Jose, power play, Sammy Sallow, that shot at the back. Oh, my gosh. Only Louie could have made a save in Boston, huh? But those four elements yeah. of the 2011 team and those four elements of this 23-24 team, very similar. Yeah. It goes to the poll question a little bit. Pretty fun team to watch right now. Mm-hmm. Pretty fun. Uh, speaking of Elias Lindholm, we got some insight into how he is viewed by his new coaching staff. Here's Rick Tockett on where he sees Lindholm positionally. Oh, like I said, you guys, I've been bouncing around wing center. I, you know, I don't think that's fair to the kid. I think he's a good. I think he's a centerman. You know, and tonight, I'm not saying him because he got two goals. I was right. I just think he's a centerman. Um, just the way he, the positional, his positional play. Um, if there's a mistake, he's in the right position. You know, you just, you can tell, I can tell. He just knows where to go in certain situations. He doesn't cheat the game, blocks a shot at the end. That's why we retired him. So for now, I'd like to keep him at center. There you go. Hand tipped. So, yeah. So let me ask you the follow up there. 
if he's going to play center in what's left of the season, and we're two-thirds of the way through the season here, 27 games left, we know Elias Patterson can play left wing. Are we going to see JT Miller bump to a wing? Would you want to take a look at that? I know he loves the duo of Besser and Miller, and and in fairness, Lindholm has played on He's that played line up there too. But do you take a look at that as well? Um, and maybe even move Besser to Pedersen in that with Pedersen in that regard. I mean, in is, that example, is it a coincidence that after some pretty absent games for Elias Pedersen, he gets moved to the wing and and has a much better game, multi-point game, three-point game? Um, Hey, it's a nice problem to have. He's got three guys that are very top-end centers, mm-hmm. and Miller's got his holes at center, but he's still a top-end center. Look what he's accomplished. Um, and he's he's got choices at any given moment mm-hmm. to change up the combos and move guys around. So I, I, I think the lines as we saw them, and again, taking the Joshua injury into consideration, um, the lines as we saw them versus the wings is the ideal scenario. I think that's the ideal setup. Again, uh, that also doesn't take into consideration a possible deadline deal for a winger that is a little bit more emphatically a top-line winger as opposed to Suter. But well, but I think that's what you want to see work, but you've got some you've got some moving around if you need that to. That was my follow-up. Whether it's Phil Kessel, whether it's another deadline addition, could you see a world where they stack the three centers? much like we saw beginning of last year when they had Patterson, Miller, and Horvat. And all of a sudden, the Bluger line is the fourth line? No. Um, for a regular season, I could see that. Well, I'm just saying we're in experimentation mode. To yeah. some, you've got cushion atop your division, atop your conference, atop the league right now. We talked about this a couple of shows ago, I think, what the fourth line minutes were like for the Canucks in Game 7, five minutes per player. You shorten that bench quite a lot. And I don't think they want to shorten the bench any more than they already have for the third line. I think they want that line over the over the boards a fair amount. Even without Joshua? Well, no, but he, he's not so going to be gone for two months. Well, we don't know yet. Highly he's going to miss Saturday's game against Winnipeg. More on that in a second. Um, um, but just you want to see every possible combination yeah. that you may need to go to in a Stanley Cup playoff series between now and mid-April. But again, Kessel's not playing season. every night. I don't think you want... I think Kessel is your short-term fix. One guy's slumping, short-term fix. One guy's injured, short-term fix. I don't think you want to be leaning on Phil Kessel. But another yeah. acquisition, you'd have to... We'll have to wait and see what that looks like. But maybe. Now, follow another follow-up question. Would Elias's nose be out of joint? If he's stapled to left wing the rest of the way, was that would that hurt a potential ARB case? Not that I think there's any chance they're going to ARB or hurt a negotiation leverage position on the next contract. If he's piling up the points and they're winning, I, I'd, I'd hate to think that's true. Agreed. And I'd also hate to think that the Vancouver Canucks in a negotiation postseason would put the screw to them, screws to him and say, well, you're a left winger now. No. No. Can't go there. No. Can't go there. They would never do that. Uh, he, here's the other thing if you're Pedersen, and again, like there's no accounting for what somebody else, how somebody else views that situation, but that's also a UFA mm-hmm. in the middle in Lindholm, who that the team can probably not afford. So 
you know this is a temporary pushing chips into the middle play by your team. You know you're going to be a center in October. Yeah. So <laughs> I would hope that Elias Pettersson sees it that way, and I would guess that he does. Yeah. Nils Hoaglander, power play two duty. Rick Tockett said he liked him there as a net front guy. Uh, Joshua to miss Saturday's game against the Winnipeg Jets, as mentioned. So even more opportunity at hand here for Nils Hoaglander. Yeah, great. And he seems to be, you know, champion at the bit and seizing opportunity. And he's doing all the things uh, on that line and on the power play that, that got him to that point. So I'm enthusiastic for Nils Hoaglander. If Kessel gets to the point where he's in your lineup, he's got to play power play, right? Uh, probably. By yeah. the way, we want Kessel chant uh, at Rogers Arena, too, according to Irf Gaffar tweeted that. Good on you, Irf. They're already looking forward to Phil, one of the great characters in National Hockey League history. Yeah, if, if there's a reason to get him in the lineup, it usually it will likely mean that somebody else that's currently occupying one of those power play spots right. is either injured or ice cold. So, yeah, I would think if he's in the lineup, he's on the on the power play. I uh, want to go through a couple of trade de- uh, deadline matters here. And every day we've been looking at a team or two. There's no schedule here. It's just as scenarios come up, we're taking a look at some of these teams as we approach the March 8th deadline. We know Jake Gensel is going to miss four weeks now in Pittsburgh. So that takes him beyond the trade deadline, but it still gets him in with about a month to go in the regular season. And you'd have full access to the health record of Gensel as an acquiring team. So it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be like, geez, I wonder what's injured. You know, you'd know, and you'd, you'd use that in terms of making your decision, you know. To the extent the Canucks had or have interest, I do wonder whether this cools them. I mean, Rutherford publicly has talked talked about depth pieces, but it is smokescreen season. Yeah. And they are not afraid of making the big swing. In fact, you know, Jim Rutherford prides himself on taking the big swing. I would bet they're absolutely pounding pavement on a more sizable trade than depth players. I'm not. Yeah, I'm whether not, it happens or not. Whether it happens, but, yeah. but they gauging the market at the very least. They see this team. They see the possibility. He's got the Stanley Cup mm-hmm. experience as Rutherford. Uh, they are still looking at bigger deals. Another team to watch here, and and we're going to get into the Calgary Flames and hashtags a little later because there's some really interesting stuff happening around that team. But the New York Rangers lose Blake Wheeler last night to what looked like a horrible leg injury. Did you see him struggling even? And that might have been a team that was looking for a forward anyways. Have you seen Capo Caco? The second overall pick? Well, he was apparently on the block again. Blake, he doesn't even have 10 points on the season. And it's not like Lafreniere hasn't launched. He's launched to a degree. He's been better, yeah. But maybe not quite at a first overall level. I mean, I think still think you have to be a little disappointed. Kaka was great last year, by the way. Um, Kaka was six goals, nine points, playing 13 minutes, the second overall pick in 2019. Now, it would be power forward. They tend to take a little longer to launch. He's on 2.1 million. He's an RFA. But he was half point summer. per game last year, and he scored 18. So, like, it's not like he can't do it. And, of course, Blake... The Rangers are forbidden from trading this year's first-round pick because the owner owns the sphere and wants to make a splash 
Well, we don't know that to be true. At 25th overall with some eerie otters winger or something like that. Anyways, that is a uh, a chip in the quiver there of Chris Drury. And typically the Rangers are an active team, right? Like yeah. that's a – we're the freaking Rangers. We're going for it. That's, you know, you got to make a run in that city to make a mark with all the busy sports happenings. So I just – I wonder about that because I see Capo on uh, Caco on uh, trade bait boards, Frank's board, and others, and uh, I do wonder because you know every year at trade deadline, it's very easy to identify the rentals and talk about how they're most likely to be traded. Most rentals get traded, right? Uh, it is a little different with players with term. It is a little different with pending RFAs. It is a little different with young players who maybe haven't launched and are wearing out welcome. And there's a name that we'll bring up here in hashtags that Kevin Weeks got to last night from the Calgary Flames that is most interesting on the trade deadline file. Message about Monday's program, as you may have already seen the Vancouver Canucks are playing yet another weekday Monday matinee in the United States on a statutory holiday and in fact it is a holiday for us as well with family day Mm -hmm. it's an 11 a.m. puck drop in Minnesota against the wild Blake and I are going to be by doing live intermissions much like we're live here on YouTube we're going to leave Jeff Patterson and Rink White to do the post game show so no Full show on Monday. We invite you to join us for live intermissions. Then we'll be back at it Tuesday. And the Canucks have a back-to-back there. They're in Minnesota on Monday afternoon and then in Denver to face the Colorado Avalanche on Tuesday. And I suspect a lot of the talk on Tuesday, Blake, will be another opportunity for the Canucks against a good team. And as we have mentioned in the past, depending on where you want to draw the line on good team, their record is either really darn good or if you're a small haul guy mm-hmm. and your best teams are Boston, Colorado, Vegas, then they are still seeking their first victory against that trio, the cream of the cream, if you will, if that's where you're drawing the line. And again, you know, Dallas is in that mix point wise now, but if you're looking at the last two cup champions and the Boston Bruins coming off their 135-point season last year as the upper echelon, the first tier of the NHL, the Canucks are 0 for 3. The uh, the sample size is small, and it's about to get bigger. They've got a lot of those games still to come. So I I don't know that I'm leaping to any conclusion. Um, Well, they got Colorado and Boston next next week. week. Yeah. Boston a week from Saturday. And and then two uh, bubble teams next week as well in the Kraken and the Wild, so hungry bubble teams. So they, you know, again, they're running the gamut, and even the following week, a bubble Penguins team. We and a talked about LA this team. at the outset of the month, Blake. Yeah, a lot of good teams, a lot of hungry teams. That was effectively the schedule. Um, in fact, outside of Chicago, every single game on the February schedule had one of those two hallmarks: upper echelon team or team that'll be scrapping. And well, we'll see if Pittsburgh's still scrapping at the end of the month. But LA, Pittsburgh. Seattle and Minnesota to come in the latter category, Colorado and Boston to come. Up until March 16th when they face the Capitals, who might be out of it by that point officially, they have one sitter between now and March 16th. Mm -hmm. A a Sunday affair with the Ducks on March 3rd. Everything else is either 
a certified playoff team, and I mean certified playoff team, or uh, a hungry team sitting right on the bubble's edge. So no gimmies. And I would suspect that Rick Tockett and the coaching staff are gleeful about that. Yeah, they're going to get tested. Let's keep the edge going, gentlemen. Let's keep the tests going. Let's make sure we are tip-top for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, Well, speaking of watching hockey, Thursday at Greta Bar, come join us. It's a game day watch party with our friends at Canucks Army. You can get your tickets at nationgear.ca. They're $10. Doors open at 6 p.m. It's a fundraiser. Raise some money in support of Canucks Place Children's Hospice. Prizes, food and drink specials, guaranteed good time. Watch party Thursday, Greta Bar, 70 West Cordova. Doors at 6, tickets $10, nationgear.ca. As we get into the menu, Frank Saravelli will join us, all the deadline stuff. He'll ask him about Kessel. We'll ask him what's going to happen in Pittsburgh here. Gensel and Sidney Crosby. We'll do some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. We'll go to the people. Hear from you on a number of Canucks topics, as we do on Fridays. Jay Pat's going to stop by. We'll review the game in Detroit, point forward to the game against Winnipeg. Kessel, Joshua, McKay of Besser, all going to feature in that conversation and uh, talk some Seahawks football because their quarterback's an awfully happy guy today, as he should be. Yeah. Time for our best bets of the day. Presentation of Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook and casino. I've got a... A really good one. I'll oh, go, I'll go first. Say, oh, please do. It's the goaltenders matchup. Hellebuck versus Demko. You're going under? Yeah, especially when it's at two. Now, it is a lower under. It's five and a half. Five and a half. But I think the Canucks are due for a 3-1 result. It might be a 2-1. Winnipeg doesn't score a lot of goals. No, they don't score. It might be a 2-1 game with an empty. Well, Winnipeg had that streak earlier in the year of giving up three or less for a yeah. stupid number of. So I don't know why the under is at two, but let's jump on it. Under five and a half. Well, Canucks feature in my best bet as well because there's still great value on the futures market here. Hmm? They're the third choice to win the West. Again, leading the West by a significant margin. Six points. Still the third choice to win the West, six to one. And they're tied for the sixth choice to win the cup at 12, one, 12 to one. Seems reasonable. Well, I mean, get in while the getting's good. Yeah. Because I imagine these will alter and not in the favor of Canucks value. I mean, unless the bottom falls out here. That doesn't have to be a big investment at 12 to one. That no, exactly. Be, yeah. So that's where I'm going. Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook and casino. Custom props and parlays speaking directly to the Vancouver sports fan. Best in class casino with thousands of games and live dollars or live dealers as well. Sports Interaction, bet local. Must be 19 years of age and please play responsibly. Uh, we're going to keep it going here for a moment. Okay. Because Grady has informed me we have to. So, All right. We're going to rag the puck, as they say, mm-hmm. in the, uh, the, the biz. Um do you think that there's a a push from below, not towards the Canucks necessarily, but does one of the Oilers or Kings become an elite cup contender here before the end of the season? Do you still believe oh, in the Kings? It's hard for me to think the Kings in that regard. Um, we 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 talked about it on Thursday's show. 
There are very few goaltenders who get moved at the deadline who are franchise-type goaltenders. And the ones that have been moved do not have an illustrious history. <clears throat> In fact, Grady nailed it. you got to go back to Dwayne Rolison and the Oilers' cup run against Carolina for the last time. A deadline-ish goalie trade. Right. Had a big time, like, get us to the cup final impact. Yeah. So I have trouble with that in L.A.'s case. Honestly, Blake, UC Saros, for me, overrated. Really? And I know he's not having a great year. He's a small goaltender in an era when we want bigger and bigger goaltenders. That's just the physics of it. I can't say I have ever looked at him and thought him in the mold of that great franchise year-after-year goaltender. I don't dispute he has had some terrific success, but I would not be paying Sun, Moon, and Stars for that guy. Um, Markstrom, as you told me earlier this week, you thought Markstrom would come in at a lesser freight, in part because he's older, in part because he's a little more expensive. If that's the case, I'd be going Markstrom over Saros if I'm the Kings or I'm the Devils here, the goaltender needy clubs. I do still think that L.A. has a bright future because I think they've got some good young players there, Byfield, Brant, Clark, and others, who are going to get better. But their best players may age out before that happens. No, I, I, I can't see it with the Kings anymore. Edmonton, you just have to. You have to give them their due because on any given night, they've got two players who can break you. And there's not a lot of teams that have two superstars who on any given night can be the difference. I know so the history. I would still be worried about Edmonton. I would not be worried. About I know that history isn't kind. We just chronicled that to the goaltender trade to lead you to playoff victory. But given where the Kings are on the goaltending of 36 year old Cam Talbot and David Riddick, I'd be pretty tempted if I was Rob Blake to try a goaltender trade here. And see how oh, good you I are. Think, uh, like you I have mean, I to think do he it. has to. He's already fired his coach, right? That's the first lever. Usually, yeah. you go to okay. We feel like we're underachieving. Fire the coach. Get the new coach. Bump. And at this point, are you helping? Or see Calgary? if you can. Aren't you helping Calgary a little bit by acquiring Jacob Markstrom? Not because he's not performing for them, but in terms of cap and in terms of you know they've got two other goalies that they are okay with mm-hmm. coming up from behind. I, I Solves their cap issue a little bit. I don't think you can pay much attention to that if you're the Kings. You ain't got time to bleed for someone else. You're four, four, and two in your last ten, so you know got a little bit of a new coach bump, but really not a, a lot. But like, what are, what are the Flames asking for for Markstrom? I mean, I still think it's significant. Yeah, yeah. Two more years at six. Thirty-four year olds, not. Not well, well, old for a goalie. But but, but here's the thing, and, and Barry Trott spoke to this on Nashville Radio this week when he full-on admitted he talks to Tom Fitzgerald of New Jersey all the time, and he mentioned that I don't need a goaltender, and Tom does. If you need that position, Blake, you immediately just surrender leverage to the guy you're talking to. Because it's just right? so obvious. It's so obvious, yeah. right? Everybody knows it, and there are only so many places you can go. And if I was Rob Blake and the Kings, I would be terrified at the notion of New Jersey beating me 
to the punch, acquiring Markstrom, and then Barry Trotz sits back and does the Mr. Burns evil fingers, right? Okay, Rob, Saros is available. What's she giving me? Yeah. No, it, it could very it's well such a go unique down that define, way. You know, it's such a unique market. And as we've talked about in the past, there are times when the goaltender market is uh, flush and teams that are peddling goaltenders probably don't get what they hope to get for goaltenders. Like, we're talking about guys who affect the game more than anyone else, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who can affect your winning and losing more than anyone else. And there are other times when the goaltender market is a little skinnier where you sit there and you go, what? Who was uh, the Buffalo goaltender that the Senators traded a first-round pick for? We did the draft. It was at the draft, we did, and we went, whoa, okay. But there are different right. times when there's not a lot of goaltenders available where suddenly you are giving up probably way more than you should. Is Cam Talbot not once traded for a huge haul where you're giving up way more than you otherwise should? Uh, do you think uh, Do you think they arrest Tanev? Do you think they... they... Put Tanev on ice, the Flames? Well, gosh, with the way he... So, first of all, you have to commit to... We're going to be sellers at the trade deadline. They just saw against if, if they If they make that commitment that, look, we're out, we're going to be selling off parts, then yes, then I think it behooves you because of the way Chris plays to, to, uh, to sit him out and make sure... That you have a healthy asset. Look at, like, I mean, Pittsburgh's probably going to get away with it with Gensel because he's the best forward or at least the best winger and maybe the best player available at this deadline. Uh, and the injury is only four weeks. It's not eight weeks. But I would be terrified if I'm Craig Conroy of Chris Tanef eating a puck tomorrow or the next There's day. There's just too much time. Like the Canucks, I haven't looked at the flame schedule. The Canucks have 10 games left before the trade deadline. Like, that's a lot of action still to go here. You know, when it looks more and more like you aren't going to be a part of the playoffs if you're the Calgary Flames. Like, how many more games do they tempt fate? It's not like you need Chris Tanev to pad his resume or prove himself to the rest of the National Hockey League general managers. They know what he is. And it seems like they're just going through the motions of waiting for the calendar to read closer to March 8th rather than just saying, let's make the deal now. Robin Lehner, by the by the way. Oh, yeah. The 21st overall pick. That one I was going to say. Got, David Leguan was included, and that was a salary dump. And so um, there was more context. They were than, carrying three at the time. Of you threw me off because you said – um, Buffalo to Ottawa, but it was Ottawa to Sorry. Buffalo. Was Correct? It? Yeah. Anyways. We're ready for Frank now, by the way. Oh, wonderful. Okay. <laughs> Here's Frank Saravelli. NHL insider Frank Saravelli of the Frankly, the Frankly Speaking podcast and the Daily Faceoff joins us. Trade deadline. Why so slow, bro? I, I I have no idea. Uh, there's been lots of talk, certainly on the Jacob Markstrom front, uh, in the last eight days. But these things kind of grind to a halt. And we were talking about the Canucks getting ahead of the market and doing some early shopping. Once Sean Monahan was off the board as well, it, the market got really thin in a hurry. 
And mm-hmm. I think teams realize that, that it's not so much about what's left to pick at. It's can we drum up some new, new fresh ground? And that's, I think sort of where the holdup's been. Uh, the Canucks have gone off and uh, brought Phil Kessel to town. What's your sense here? Are we going to see him playing for the Canucks? I haven't gotten a report on what his skating has been like in Abbotsford. I think there weren't any promises made. I think it was, hey, let's get a peek at you and see what you look like, essentially. And it's never just FYI, that's not me making a Phil Kessel joke. It's not a fitness thing with him. His fitness numbers have actually always been great. But anytime any player takes this much time off of playing, it's it's certainly a concern. Um, so for me, I, I think I do think you'll end up seeing him. I think it's a no risk signing if slash when it happens. And I think the reasons from the Canucks perspective make a lot of sense aside from just the personal connections and trust that they have. I mean, the Canucks lineup in and of itself, they've been sort of moving puzzle pieces around to try and find fits. And I, so I, okay. So I think they're going to sign him, but I'm, I really have questions about his ability to be an impact guy, but I don't think it's, any harm in trying to find out. Do you think if they sign him and he gets into the mix here in the, um, however many games are left, do you think they're done at forward or do you think they would still be looking to add a forward at forward? I would assume they would be, but I think that leaves the door wide open to focus whatever assets you have left on the defense market. The, uh, the fact that Phil Kessel's here is, you know, is uh, mostly due to the fact that Rick Tockett is here and his affinity for Rick Tockett. Not just uh, Rick Tockett. I think Jim Rutherford. Others as well, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the on ice, um, mm-hmm. Connor Garland has been glowing recently about Rick Tockett and how he got him his contract and has brought the best out of him this season as well. And Elias Lindholm comes over from Calgary and has had two marvelous games and a few so-so ones, but he's his stats are exactly where Vancouver Canucks management, I'm sure, wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's scoring goals again as well. Could Rick Tockett manifest this team to be good over the next couple of years because people might want to play for Rick Tockett based on all of uh, all this evidence? Why not? I mean, players talk. Everyone knows what the situation is. You know pretty quickly who has a good reputation, who doesn't. And I think what everyone really appreciates about Rick Tockett, aside from the fact that the Canucks are winning this year, is there's no fluff. Like, there's no... You're never confused about where you stand. Like, any conversation you have with him, it's like he's transparent, translucent for better or worse. You can always understand exactly where you are. And that I think is such a unique ability to have. And look, let me put it this way. Like there are plenty of people who are transparent that are just absolute assholes too. Mm -hmm. So like it, it does work both ways, but he has such a genuine nature about him and good nature that I think even when he's delivering you something that you might not love, it's it's because he cares and it's from you know it's it's from a place of deep knowledge it's not just someone spouting off so um it's a trust factor and i think he's been around so long and played and been in so many different situations and then was an assistant coach in so many different spots 
there's a lot of people that are great assistant coaches that never make the transition to being good head coaches because they can't have that same relationship that assistants do. And I think he's found a way to break through that. And it's all due to his personality. The reason I bring it up too is because there's so much uh, attention on the third line here and the marvelous job they've done with two UFAs to be, of course, on that line. And those two UFAs, it's certainly within their right. And we fully expect them to try to get, you know, one good contract, one more good contract for both of them and Teddy Bluger and Dakota Joshua. But maybe if those guys don't give a discount to play with Rick Tockett, you know, is it possible that, you know, the, the Tockett factor can help somebody else get get the new Bluger, get another show-me guy, show-me contract, you know, to to come in and, and replace those two guys? Yeah, look, I, I think the NHL and the salary cap era is littered with examples of teams that overpay, and the Canucks' previous cap structure is littered with examples of teams that overpay for bottom six players. and. This isn't a knock on Bluger or Dakota Joshua. It's just that this is a plug and play environment. Like you should be able to, some of the things that they do and are really good at, you should either be able to coach that out. Like there's no reason for a bad penalty kill. It's effort and execution. You can coach it. And if you're not getting the work ethic, we'll go find someone who does. And so you see these players that kind of bounce around and do some of these things really well. They're, they're sought after. And so they, they get little incremental raises. They get one extra year a term and they're nice pieces to have, but for a team that has such top end talent, the Canucks can't be in a spot where they're overpaying to keep them, no matter how well they've worked, let, let another team, let a competitor go overpay them and go out and find the next guy who wants the opportunity to be given the rope that Rick Tockett has afforded Teddy Bluger and Dakota Joshua remember like yeah. before the season started about uh how kind of hard Rick Tockett was on Dakota Joshua and how mm -hmm. frank his comments were just basically saying like hey I know this guy's got a lot here but I haven't seen it yet and it takes someone to drag that out of you and I think that's really important well, and of course, the genius of his system is as you noted it's simplified enough that you should be able to plug and play guys. So no, I, uh, they got a good thing going on here with this head coach on top of him being a sensational communicator, as we've covered, uh, the X's and O's are sounds too. And I think that it explains it's not rocket science. Like this is a simple game and Rick talk. will be the first person to tell you like, the, the, and I'm sure there's been ma many, many people over the years that have underestimated his intelligence, but he's, he'll be the first to tell you that he's not a rocket scientist that this doesn't take a brainiac level of thinking to be a good communicator, to be able to instill something that works and be successful. And, and I think the simplification part of that, it's understandable in any language. The Jake Gensel injury um, coupled with yet another Pittsburgh Penguins loss. I, I know we ask you a lot about that team across the Commonwealth well, you should because you're, from... you're, you're Pittsburgh West right now. Exactly. They go fishing in the Western Pennsylvania rivers and ponds. So it's you tell gross, me, yeah, <laughs> spoken as a Philly guy. Yeah. Um, you tell me where the Penguins are at with regards to still being in the hunt or not. You tell me how the Gensel injury may have affected his suitors, if at all. Um, I do not believe it affects his trade value. I think you know, knowing 
not knowing the specifics of the injury, I should say, um, we know him being placed on LTIR. We can sort of pinpoint a vague return. We know it's not going to be before the deadline now. And I would say that given my past experience and reporting on it, that it's not, you know, it's not a medical opinion. It's just that I know teams were trying to trade with the Anaheim Ducks last year for Adam Henrique, knowing that he was going to miss weeks beyond the deadline. And every year there's someone that pops up that gets traded that teams aren't thinking of the window from March 8th to March 27th. They're thinking of the playoffs and that's it. And so if we can get at that point, a healthy Jake Gensel, which I don't, we don't have any indication to believe that that wouldn't be the case. Then I think the market is still going to be there for him. And the price is probably going to be more or less the exact same. The tough part for the penguins is in some ways, just on from a pure paper perspective, you would think that what this injury does is more or less help seal that there'll be a non-playoff team and that his last game as a Penguin probably would have already occurred. Now, we can't say that for certain because for whatever God-unknown reason in this sport seemingly more than any other, key players go down and teams play better. I, 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 was, I watched the Pittsburgh Penguins win a Stanley Cup without Chris Letang. It, doesn't, it defies logic, doesn't make sense, but sometimes these things happen, and so I can't officially rule out that the Penguins will be a playoff team, but it certainly feels like they're trending in that direction. And if that's the case, then I think they have no choice but to move on from Jake Ensel. Social media and uh, those darn podcasters have uh, been chatting a lot about the future of Sidney Crosby, and you've answered this question before, I believe. But I it answered it again this morning on radio. Like, why yeah. is this a thing? Yeah, I, I guess people just don't understand why both sides would just want this relationship to continue when it, it will not end in another Stanley Cup. But I, I do hear that the concrete evidence is that a Crosby's not going anywhere, is it? Uh, not to my, I don't have any evidence to point to, to, to think that it's even been a topic of conversation yeah. internally, let alone in Sidney Crosby's own brain. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't have the ability to glean that much, but I, it's never been talked about far as I can tell. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why it has been a thing, but I well, think people don't understand predict. it. I think people don't understand it. That's don't it. understand what? That, that, that he wouldn't want to win a cup somewhere because it's not going to be there and that they wouldn't want to reap the benefits of trading Sidney Crosby. I think there's lots of evidence to the contrary. You know, uh, first off, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins franchise value as a whole is significantly degraded without Sidney Crosby there, even for a team that's rebuilding and, and on the you know brink of probably a decade of darkness. I think the idea that Mario Lemieux played all of his games as a Pittsburgh Penguin probably means something and to be a one franchise player. And the other part of it is it's not like he's someone that hasn't won three Stanley Cups, four trips to the final, uh, every piece of hardware you could imagine, Olympic gold medals, like the biggest goal in Canadian history, like uh, with all due respect to Paul Henderson, like what? what more could you possibly need to fulfill in your career that would make you want to go do that? I, I mean, that's just my view, but I'm also not, you know, a Mount Rushmore class NHL player that uh, has a competitive fire. Hot take. What? Season ends. Crosby surveys the landscape, lets the dust settle and says, you know what I have left to achieve in my career? winning a Stanley cup for Canada 
and why don't I do it back in the same city where I won a gold medal for Canada? He requests a trade to the Vancouver Canucks because he believes in the management wow, and coaching staff here. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I have a better chance getting pregnant. Um, I would say if there were a Canadian team that Sidney Crosby were to pick, it would probably be the Montreal Canadiens. That's what I was thinking. Which That's was his favorite of. childhood team, but they're not close enough to a Stanley Cup, Frank. So that's why it's going to be the Canucks. Yet. Yet. Yeah, but he's but got I one like year left. Next year. Together. Yeah. And why can't Sidney Crosby play until he's 40? No, he could. He could. Uh, I'm just saying. You know, He's it, only 36. Next year is the last year of his contract. And uh, the Canucks are closer to a Stanley Cup than the Habs. So. Uh, so, okay. So the other working theories has been... Oh, he'll go play with Nathan McKinnon in Colorado. Right. I could or see that as well. Or he will go play with Connor McDavid in Edmonton, mm. which, again, don't see. And then you... the one that was whispered about like three years ago was always, oh, well, Sid loves California. He spends a lot of his summer there. Maybe he'll go play for the Kings. I'm telling you, I, I just I wouldn't bet any money on him playing for anyone other than the Pittsburgh Penguins. There but that's just me. Where's Jacob Markstrom going to wind up, our uh, our old friend here? I think he, uh, I think he ends up in Calgary, like stays there. Really? Okay. I just, just tell me what the market is for him outside of New Jersey, and unless they find a way to rekindle this deal that's dead, or at yeah. last check, what happened there? there? What happened with that deal? I don't know, and I like there has been a lot of pushback from all sides, and. My reporting earlier in the week was that they had gotten as close to the finish line as you can without getting a deal done, had more or less received the blessing from Markstrom, if not put a piece of paper in front of him for him to sign. It was close to being a done deal that got scuttled at the last minute. And I don't I, I don't have insight on why that is. But then since then, and I don't like I'm caught up in the spin cycle here is, oh, no, that's not the case, was never the case. And by the way, there's still nothing going on with the Devils. Yeah. As we know, I, though, they lie through their teeth, right? Well, like, like smoke screens. consider me as an insider sitting at my desk just sifting through mounds of BS on a daily basis. <laughs> no, exactly. I'm just, yeah, I, exactly. I have a colander of BS. Yeah, yes. I, yeah, I, I feel you, like I am just shoveling it all day. Yeah, you know the scene in Jurassic Park? Is it Laura Dern who, like, puts on the love rug? rubber glove and digs into the big mound of yeah whatever sops that's frank cerevelli, right that's frank cerevelli on a on a daily basis answer me this how come everybody's tying saros to the kings but then don't make the next logical step and say what about markstrom to the kings like if the kings are looking for goaltending does markstrom not work as well as saros he would to me mm-hmm. unless they're just looking for someone younger yeah, like yeah. significantly younger but, I mean, they both have term there. Yeah. Uh, is it a thing where Conroy doesn't want to move him in the right? division? Is it a thing where Conroy doesn't want to move him in the division? Or is I mean, I think that's a preference, but you can't even say that's reality after making two deals with the Vancouver Canucks. Is yeah. Calgary going to blow this up? I mean, they, they had a terrible loss last night to the Sharks. Um, our buddy Ryan Pinder pointed out after the game, they are 6-3 and three against the top five teams in the league. Like, they, they are capable and yet this, the results are not there consistently enough to keep them tied up against the race. So, so what, is Conroy going to blow this up, or is he going to try to rework it a little bit? No, he's he's reworking it. There's mm-hmm. there's no ability to blow it up. 
not when you have Jonathan Huberto and Nazem Kadri and yep. I'd include Mackenzie Weger in that group of major long-term expensive contracts. Kuzmenko, by the way, seems like he's really been a good fit with Huberto. And that part is super intriguing to try and find a way to rekindle that player. I haven't done the math recently, but I know a few days ago, Huberto had 16 points in his last 16 games, which sources say not terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I would say they are in a position to consider just about anything. And Rasmus Anderson's name was mentioned by Kevin Weeks yesterday. They've got a lot to consider whatever comes across Craig Conroy's desk that makes sense. Like they're not in a position to be hanging up on anyone, but their design is to be back in contender mode in 2027 when they open their new building. So it's not a full scale rebuild. It's a reshaping whatever R word you want to use. That's <laughs> well, but that's three years away. Like that, that gives you some runway. But that's well. That's what it's going to take. I yeah, mean, they I just mean, don't have the the draft capital and and prospects in their arsenal to be a team that can turn it around quickly. Yeah, but what what I'm saying is, if if you take a look at some of the younger players that they do have, like Mangiapani and Zeri and Pospisil, and you know some of the uh, Sharon Govich, if they resign him, and uh, uh, some of the kids they got coming up, Rasmus Anderson on defense. Uh, and the goaltending situation, like I don't, I think in three years, selling off some of the parts here, you could, I think you could be competitive by twenty twenty seven. Like, oh, I think yeah. it's very Man achievable. Tavani would be a guy that I would consider for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's probably going to be, I think he's thirty by the time their twenty twenty seven rolls around. But like the other guys that you mentioned, those are all pieces that they're currently building around as their foundation. Right. Zari and Pospisil and Peltier and probably to a lesser extent, Anderson, anyone that has something mm-hmm. that's essentially bolting them down to there is probably in my estimation yeah. going to be there. But in the meantime, sell off every right. UFA that you have and sell off every piece that is not going to be on the other side of that. Meaning Markstrom at some point doesn't have to be now could be the summer in addition to Manjapani or whoever else you might deem as outside of that window. Mm-hmm. We didn't even mention Coronado. I, uh, I think it's very achievable for Conroy to make the moves here and fashion a contending team. It's just uh, by needed. 2027. Yeah, no, I, I would agree They've with been that. Slapping lipstick on that pig for right. 10 years now of oh. trying to be competitive. And it's, it more or less kind of worked like they had made the playoffs a few years, but this is what it always comes back to for me. Are you a threat to win the Stanley cup? And if the answer is no, you need to do whatever you can until you can answer. Yes. Oh, don't, Her- don't tell us about lipstick on the pig. <laughs> we did lipstick on the pig. Really but, bad, but oh, really thing. bad pigs and really smeary lipstick. too. But here's the thing is you need an ownership that's on board. Right. And it took someone like Jim Rutherford and his experience, even though I'm sure there's been headaches at times during his tenure dealing with it to set the record straight and put this team on a course to get there. And guess what? It's also taken them to be really aggressive, trying to find wins on the margins that we've talked about a lot with the moves that Patrick Alvin has made in Calgary. 
it's not really all that different, except their owner isn't as intimately involved because he lives in Switzerland. It's more so just that he doesn't like a team not having anything to play for because he thinks that that's bad for the market and attention span in the market. But what they've realized, I think, in Calgary is Craig Conroy and Jerome Ginla have presented to ownership a sort of plan of here's what we need to do. Here's how I think we can do it. And the fans are sitting there saying, about time. Before you Always, go, uh, skeptical of those owners who live in non-extradition. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Owner living in the Caymans. Um, before you go, we kind of woke up after this game versus the Red Wings with the Canucks winning again, back on a three-game winning streak. It was charming, you know, their twenty-game start. At forty games, it was like, wow, a bit head shaking. You know, six All Stars. Wow. Okay. Uh, Frank, they've got a six-point lead in the President's Trophy race. Like, what are you hearing around the league? Like, are people, like, this has gone past, hey, really nice season for the Vancouver Canucks. Like, this is absurd what's happening this year. Do people believe it? Are executives gobsmacked? Or do they kind of, does anybody say they saw this coming for the Canucks? Well, no one is saying that they saw this coming because they'd be lying. Yes. Even for someone like me that thought they'd be a firm playoff team, I didn't see President's Trophy in their future. And I I don't think the Canucks' own executives thought that that could be possible. I think that this has been a perfect storm. It's Mm -hmm. been everyone being on the same page, your stars hitting their stride, a team that's mostly been healthy uh, outside of a couple injuries to your decor and Susie. the we talked about the bottom six production and how important that's been uh we talked about the aggressive trades that have been made to you know fill and cover off some of the holes that they've had i don't know that we've talked necessarily enough about you know even the trade made last year with philip aronic I, I mean like he's everyone knows he's been a big part of this year but how big a part i think is is a pretty reasonable question and you know, I think maybe the most exciting part about it is that I believe it's really sustainable. Looking more and more so yeah. as the sample size increases, doesn't it? And it's and it's, I don't mean just FYI to for clarity. I don't mean sustainable for the rest of this season. I mean mm-hmm. what the foundational pillars that they've put in place seem to be really sustainable. Mm-hmm. I hope you get some trades in the next week, buddy. I hope I don't. But no. I don't so know. you prefer I sifting would, through the really steaming like rounds of shit? It would just be March 9th. No, I know, but we that is uh, that's not happening. So between now and next Friday, I hope you get some trades. <laughs> I hope it breaks time. You know, yeah. yeah. There you go. Sifting through all the. Yeah, I hate um, bringing a shovel. And I mean, thanks for that image. I'm gonna have to get a box of latex gloves. Like, <laughs> step go. into my office. <laughs> thanks, Frank. See you guys. Some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Infinity in Richmond has a couple of great sedans, sporty sedan. We don't talk about the sedans enough. I might be entering into the sedan phase of my life, by the way, Matt. Is that midlife The greatest poll question Blake ever conceived was when he was on the verge of having, was it your third, third or, or fourth, your fourth? Yeah, Should I buy a minivan? And I, I believe the people guided you to the minivan right and i but i said no we never bought a minivan 
Big SUV is best I got. But I, I'm I'm kids are fleeing the coop. That's right. Might be time for the sedan. Size. Apple Infinity Richmond's got the Q50 and the Q60. Leasing both or finance both from zero percent with non-stack cash up to eight grand on the 50, 12 grand on the Q60. Go check it out. It's all good at Applewood. The QX60, the Infinity I drive from mm-hmm. Applewood, has so much space in the cockpit, Blake. You know I'm a big, tall guy. I'm able to stretch out my left leg entirely, which is going to help me with the golf swing today at Northlands. Oh, you think, huh? Hmm. I can get my stretching routine in as I drive to Northlands. Uh, drivers will tell you when he's on the road, um, and you can just clear the way for the stretching Matt Sakaris, whilst he drives. Well, I think that's distracted driving. The older I get, I've got to go through a more elaborate stretching exercise before sure. I play golf. I'm sure. And what's really important for me is to get the left hip stretched because as a left-handed player, i got to get that turn, I right? Want, I don't want to talk about your hips. They don't lie? Full <laughs> <Poor> question. <laughs> is this the most fun you've had watching the Canucks? You can vote at Sakaris and Price on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, speaking of Twitter, hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter.com. At Kevin Weeks, in addition to Hannafin, uh, Hannafin and Tanev, I'm told another one of their defense, Anderson, is now drawing interest as well. Given his age, $4.5 million for two more years, he's an attractive piece for potential suitors. Yeah, no duh. Rasmus Anderson, a 27-year-old right-shot defenseman, 215 pounds, 28 points in 50 games this year, playing 24 minutes, of course. Selected 53rd overall in 2015. The pick the Canucks gave the Flames for Sven Berchi. This one caught me by surprise because if you're trading if you're trading Anderson, that is a much bigger rebuild than I think anybody anticipated. Now, does it follow that if you're considering trading Markstrom that it makes sense to trade Anderson? I'm not sure it does because I think you feel like with Ladar and Wolf, you're going to be okay in goal. Yeah, totally. And competitive yeah. next year. Not the Wolf from last night, mind you, but yes. No, he was terrible. Uh, they lost to the Sharks. But this from... Uh, Salim Valji of TSN in Calgary before yesterday's game. Jacob Markstrom spent the last three-ish minutes of warm-ups giving pucks to fans at both sides of the rink. Even when he's backed up, I've never seen him do that. And Salim adds, just me, but the scene with Markstrom during the end of warm-ups tonight reminded me when then-GM Brad Treliving watched the final practice of last season from the bench. You just feel the air is different, given how out of character they were and the noise around them. So are we about to see bleep go down in Cowtown? Are we about to see a Hannafin, Tanif, Markstrom or a combination thereof, trades. I, I mean, it will be really ballsy for Craig Conroy because a former player in his first go-around as a GM, you would think he would uh, be conservative. You would think he would be, uh, I believe in our players kind of attitude. For him to go in 
and cut and cut and cut. That would be against my guesses. Well, and all the information that we've got from the likes of Frank Saravelli and others this year on the Flames is that there is a push and pull going on there between what are the best hockey moves for the long term and ownership maybe not wanting to give up the ghosts, not wanting to signal to their fans that yeah. they're out of it and that they're in for some pain here over the next couple of years. That's a huge loss, though, to San Jose. That's got to be guaranteed win night if you're in a tight wild card race as the Flames are. Now, they came out of the break and they look pretty darn good, but now sitting sixth in the West in the wild card standings, 55 points in 54 games, they've got to jump four teams. And a couple of them have games in hand with Calgary. They have games in hand on nobody. Yeah, there's four teams right now that either have 55 or 56 points. They're all four points or five points back of the 60-point Blues and Kings. And you're right, the Kings have games in hand on everybody. everybody. The Blues have games in hand on most, mm-hmm. on Kraken, Preds, and Flames. I mean, it doesn't look good. I mean, the Blues and Kings yeah. might be comfortably... In those wildcard spots right now, and heck, if the Kings get a little bit warm, the now scuffling Oilers could be within reach as well. But the Oilers are only at 50 games played, so we'll give them a bit of the benefit of the doubt. Um, well, at- hey, just before we move yeah. on, Anderson is available. Are you taking another big swing for Rutherford and Alvin? I wonder if they I mean, are willing That to- one probably costs you Wheelander, right? That's the thing, is that are the Flames willing to trade a young player within their division yeah he's 27 but you're gonna see that guy a lot oh well and a that's why i was surprised UFA that's, no that's why i was surprised but we've talked about if you're moving wheelander or lecromaki guys with term that's why i was surprised to read that from weeks because you can re-sign him and he will still probably be a top four defenseman by the next time you're competitive would you trade wheelander for anderson Boy, I, I would. I think you got to take a long, hard look at you that. Gotta, he's a, a terrific defenseman, and at four and a half mil over the no, next three great seasons, great value. He, he yeah. keeps you competitive, oh, for sure. Plus, one of the things we haven't talked about as much, but Cole, Zadorov, Myers, all pending free agents for the Canucks. You are going to have to re-sign someone, or replace a top four defenseman for next year, and really. Ian Cole at this stage, with his age, 34, how much longer can you consider him a top-four defenseman? You know Myers really isn't, you know, he's fringy there at best to begin with. Hughes, Roenick, Susie, and... And Zadorov, they haven't tried on the right side. But Susie Anderson is the second pair. It's not terrible. I mean, you want to upgrade on Susie a little bit? You'd rather have him as your five? Right. But that's not terrible. And then you, you try to get Myers on a bit of a lark, wow, maybe bring him back, and and it's just, it's and you especially got Noah like, I mean, Juleson looking nice and Noah Juleson on the, yeah as your as your right maybe you just go maybe you forget Myers on the on the club friendly deal maybe you just go Juleson as your six and then you just find that one more lefty or maybe you promote Elias Pettersson or Canucks. Well, the other thing yeah I mean Susie and Myers or Susie and uh, Anderson you are really big on that second pair like you are heavy. And Anderson can move the puck. Well, can he? Can't. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. He's an all-around defenseman. 
It'd be tempting. That Can would be I, that would be a tempting trade. And then you'd have Bruce Stevich and Wielander as the future of the Calgary Flames right side of the defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that might come back to haunt you. Yeah, but yeah. you're hoping you have a Stanley Cup by the time you have to face that. Yep. At the Athletic, the top story of spring training so far has been Nike's new Vapor Premier jerseys. "Quote: It looks like a replica." On Wednesday, players criticized their poor fit, cheap look, inconsistent quality, and small lettering. Uh, Carlos Estevez, the Angels reliever, bemoaned the fact he couldn't customize the pants to his preference the way pitchers once could, tailoring the fit to their, quote-unquote, big dumpers and tree trunk thighs. He said, quote, when I wear my pants, I feel like I'm wearing someone else's pants. He says, and uh, another uh, uh, Halo player said, I could see Estevez, and it was just ripping in the back. That was Taylor Ward who said, it looks like a replica. It kind of feels papery. <laughs> papery so far it's a thumbs down and this was just a small smattering of some of the feedback and it's a nike design so the nike emblem is on there but it's created by fanatics oh there you go and fanatics um are the kings of the cheaper uh, back alley version mm-hmm. of jerseys they just they look fake everything fanatics makes looks fake they're not they're the it new looks like it. DH gate. I I have a Chicago Bears Fanatics hoodie. It's a thinner one. I quite like it. The hat I got alongside it is the cheapest hat I've ever owned. Was the logo the correct logo? Uh, it was the correct logo, but it, it, the lettering it, fall off. No, no, uh, but okay. the it's just wafer fin the material. Um, you know what I'm going to pick bad. up. You know what I'm going to pick up on with this hashtag. What's that? Big dumper. But yeah, yeah. Very underrated in terms of what makes a great athlete. Oh my god! Or in certain sports, we talked about Sidney Crosby and the derriere that he's able to carve out space for himself in tight quarters by just swinging around and hitting people. It's a Friday with the big dumper. One second when he was the young player, and all the all the veterans who were with him in the Penguins room. That was the first thing they noticed. Boy, he gets out there, and he's able to overpower you. because. And the same goes for pitchers, Blake. They're generating a lot of power. Why are those fastballs up to 98, 99, in a lot of cases now over 100 miles an hour? Big dumper. Grady, can you put a trigger warning uh, on the podcast today? Uh, Matt describes anatomy will be the descriptor. Well, I, I, I got to say, Blake, I, I feel... Pretty good about my track record on biomechanics. Oh, my God. Wingspan, now a thing everywhere. Where did you hear it first, folks? Right here on Sakarison Price. Big dumper. Mm, not the NBA drafts? You, no. you, watch, you watch the drafts now. Boxers. And how they'll start talking about big dumpers. I am Kenneth Chan of Daily Hive. Breaking. <whistles> Mayor Brenda Locke has announced the city of Surrey will launch an economic and feasibility study for a new 12,000-seat arena or stadium, quote, to position Surrey as a destination city and a magnet for economic opportunities. This study is beginning today. Mayor Locke unveiled it at the State of the City. Surrey is expected to surpass Vancouver in population by 2029 and nearly double to a million people by 2042. Mayor Locke, quote, 
Surrey is not a bedroom community, and we haven't been that in a very long time. This means we will invest in big city amenities like sporting and event facilities and entertainment and music venues, as well as unique dining opportunities in Surrey. We have heard of the proposed stadium or arena in Surrey for some time. This is a step in that direction. 12,000 seats seems inadequate for the Lions and Whitecaps. I know there's often talk about, oh, the Lions should play in Surrey. Um, that they actually are not resolved on an arena or stadium may be telltale that's as weird. well. <laughs> We're not sure. Maybe it'll be for this well, sport. But that's why maybe. they're having the study. Yeah. I, there's no chance the Whitecaps would move out there. But no. there's, uh, but if you, if you made it a little bit bigger, you might be able to tempt the Lions. Oh, I think you need to double 12,000. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, exactly. You need to scale that up quite so, a bit. So, no, but the other thing that got me thinking, okay, so you got to, let's, let's say it's an arena. You got a 12,000 seat arena. Who's going to play there? What's that going to attract? I think the, the Canucks would love to move Abbey closer. That was my first thought. Would love that. Because it's a slam dunk. Like, if they're in Surrey, I think they come close to selling out a, a lot of nights. Do you think so? Yeah. Because that's the thing. The attendance is good, not great. Yeah. In Abbotsford. Because the population base, like, Abbey's got a decent amount of population, but you're getting way more population if you're in Surrey. And, you, and there's still uh, arms reach from you, Abbey. Do you, do you attract concerts that yeah. also play Rogers Arena? Yeah, like, are there acts out there that are looking and going, 12,000 is a good size for us? There are shockingly good concerts in Abbey sometimes. No. So, I mean, it, they become huge competition for Abbey, and one of the buildings is a white, becomes a white elephant because you're, they're not playing both of those buildings. Mm-hmm. So they would kind of screw Abbey if they make it. But I, I just, I'm a little, I'm a... I'm a little skeptical that you would have an act play Rogers Arena and then play the Surrey Arena. No, you wouldn't do that. It would be somebody else that, d- that wants a cheaper rent. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there'd be the odd act that would play both. You think? Maybe. It's possible. But the midsize acts would, country acts would probably pr- maybe prefer to go there. You know, like if it's a midsize country act. Mind the, the Valley folk? Yeah. Grady, thoughts? Midsize country act. That's kind of your thing, no? Mm, like Luke, Col- you're, Luke you're Combs a bigger isn't country playing there, act. But yeah, bigger. You're I big. went to Luke Combs, Morgan Wallen. Uh, Been brainwashed by the girlfriend, I'll tell you that. Did you, um, who's the guy who's redone Fast Car? Luke Combs. Yeah, of course. Re- yeah. I actually just watched that duet with Tracy Chapman on the weekend. So good. Pretty good. So damn good. Honestly, go go buy that Tracy Chapman album and just play it front to back. It's genius. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a vinyl purchase. Truly one of the underrated artists of all time, Tracy Chapman. At Pro Football Talk, Jimmy Garoppolo facing two-game suspension. The Raiders are expected to release him. Where does Jimmy Garoppolo land on the free agent? Mm, it was not list. a good year with the Raiders, but the Raiders did not have a um, particularly great offensive line. He's thirty-two already, so that happened yeah, quick. Well, I mean, that's yeah. that's still 
young enough. Yeah. Gosh, with the amount of second and third stringers we saw. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, oh, he's he's certainly playing in the NFL next year. The question is, is he going to get into a situation where he can compete to be the starting quarterback at camp? Or is he now into pure backup? Now, the Seahawks are going to draft somebody, you'd have to think, this do, year. Do you? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you have to think. Well, we'll get into the Seahawks and their quarterbacking here in a bit because uh, Geno Smith's having a big day. Is it? Is this a stopgap safety net and a push for Geno Smith? Do you, are, no. Do you, do you dare invest in no, both of these guys? You, no, no. no. You're, you're Smith and Locke and maybe a draft pick, as you see. We'll get into that. Uh, I think in Garoppolo's case, he probably wants to go to a place where there's a tenuous grasp on the starting quarterback job. Tennessee, Will Levis, showed some things, um, some good traits there with a young quarterback that you may just be building up this year anyways because you're not going to be all that competitive. So a situation like that, it, I would think. By the way, I didn't get into it. It's uh, substance abuse um, suspension used a prescription medication without having valid therapeutic use exemption. Oh, and he's not planning to appeal the two-game suspension. Oh, so there you go. At Nuclear Golf, <whistles> Tiger on his shank on eighteen. Quote: I shanked it. My back was spasming the last few holes. Ah. <sighs> A one over 72 for Tiger in the opening round of the Genesis Invitational at LA's Riviera. An unfortunate score considering he had five birdies. Yeah. Like, like he was effective out there, but he, when he was bad, he was bad. And every amateur has been there. And usually late in the rounds, too. Either there's mental fatigue, physical fatigue, a combination of both. And you just don't rotate whatsoever. And the club. Hazel hits the ball and it shoots. Well, in my case, straight left as a lefty, in your case, straight right. And it is absolutely shocking to see it on the PGA Tour. It is particularly shocking to see it with arguably the greatest of all time. He tied Sahith Tigala and Justin Thomas on the day. He beat Max Homa and Rory McIlroy yesterday. Homa and Rory were horrible yesterday. So, like, again, like, you know, you can look at that and go, oh, Tiger just isn't Tiger, but he was pretty good yesterday. Can, he really can was. I make an observation? Yep. Less Tiger buzz this week than previous times when he oh, stepped sure. up competitively. For sure. We, we were starting to see some of the air go out of that balloon. I think everybody recognizes that he's really not going to be a competitive player. And the fact that this is happening in L.A. is unbelievable. And, and if I'm Tiger, I'm not sure once a month is going to be wise. This tournament, break till the Masters, then hopefully play the... He's not doing one more in between? Well, so the question is whether he's going to play the players next year. Or uh, next next month. month. Yeah. Which he he hasn't in some time, frankly. So I I just don't know. Watching, Watching and listening to him talk about the recovery process after a golf round... I'm just not so sure. Incidentally. Good start for Hughes and Svensson, by the way. Did you see what the Waste Management has uh, floated as a potential solution? No. To the drunkenness? They're going to raise ticket prices. 550 bucks to get in on the Saturday. From what? I don't know. So, so basically, it's a genius way to raise ticket prices. No, no, no. But we're doing this for the sake of decorum and sobriety. 
but I, I don't think it was nerd. I don't think it was, uh, you know, bottom of so the barrel I, folk attending in the first place. No, but I think the notion is if they raise the ticket prices, it will be an older crowd. Like the twenty and thirty crowds are not ne- don't necessarily have that. Have they watched the tape? It's no not twenty more. to thirty year olds. Those are forty year olds that are getting wasted. Drunk college bros. There's a, Ricky there's a Fowler no. said no. Ricky Fowler said going in saying the waste management open is is the Coachella for people in their 30s. I, so I, he seems to think it's 30-something golf bros who are there getting absolutely blitzed. And I think it's late 30s, and I think it's well-to-do golf bros that can say, you know what? And and here's the other thing. is it, If you're paying 550 now, guess what those guys are thinking? I paid 550 bucks. If I want to get freaking wasted, I'm going to get freaking wasted. Yeah. And they're gonna they're gonna do it so again. So you're seeing more confrontations with security because I paid five hundred and fifty. Yeah. Do you know who I am, bro? Totally, totally. I own America is like a chain of plumbing, is, you know, yeah. outfits in Scottsdale. Not gonna kick me out. Raise the prices of beer then, as well. If you're if you're really doing that. Oh, for sure. Make it a twenty dollar beer. See who's in. I think there's enough rich folk down there that. And, yeah, enough no, people that, so. and enough rich people that travel for that event. Mm-hmm. I don't think it, I don't think that dissuades them at all. Do rich people get less messy drunk? No, I don't think I would draw no. that distinction. Okay, yeah, everybody's capable of getting messy if they want to. Yeah. I'm out. I'm out too. That's hashtags for today. Rinkwide Vancouver's Jeff Patterson is our Canucks reporter. Fun game last night. There have been a lot of them, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I would uh, I would add this one to the mix. And look, I think with this preponderance of home games the rest of the way, that this will be the norm now. That, you know, lots of good opponents coming in. Stakes are high in terms of conference and first overall. So there's going to be something to play for just about every night out. And uh, I mean, the Canucks themselves have been worth the price of admission most nights and you know, the ticket buying public, they want to be entertained, but I think at the end of the night, they want to see the home team win. And boy, they've done a lot of that this year at Rogers Arena, 19 victories on home ice. And I was looking at this uh, earlier in the week, like, you know, they had a 30 win home ice season back in 2009, 2010. 30 is the high water mark. beyond that uh, 27. Well, they're at 19 now with all these home games remaining. Like, I think we're looking at uh, one of, if not the best ever home ice seasons in the history of the Vancouver Canucks. Which helped sell tickets mm-hmm. last I checked. It, it, and the it, vibes are great too. Like, yeah. especially on Thursday, Fridays. Well, no Fridays, but Thursday, Saturday nights. Like, that crowd wants to have fun. Rick Tocken talked about it, uh, about coming back from the road trip in that first game back. He didn't quite build in the cliche of first game back is always a tough one, but he kind of said that. And, and it, it did cross my mind. Like, you know, that was a bit ripe for the picking in terms of just, you know, letting down a little bit. And they had their moments where they let down. But overall, that's that's a nice victory coming home after that road trip. Yeah, and I thought Thatcher Demko talked about it, too, that just because there was the week off and then the All-Star game and then the five-game trip, like it had been almost three weeks since they had played a, a game in front of the home fans. So uh, they had missed their people, if you will. And that first game back after a lengthy trip is essentially another road game. I mean, it's a you know five-game road trip, but then you're playing in a sixth city, even if it's a home game. And they stayed overnight in Chicago and then flew back. So they've applied some science to this a few times this year. And they felt that that was uh, in their best interest. Uh, and I would agree with you. Like, they were the better team. 
you know, you're not always going to get three goals from distance the way that they did. So uh, their goaltender was better than Detroit's goaltender. Uh, their star players elevated and, uh, you know, for Elias Lindholm to score two in his debut in Carolina and two in his home debut, a uh, sense of occasion for this guy. Uh, and there is something there, I think, on that uh, all-Swedish line with Patterson and, and Hoaglander. And, you know, that was a pretty routine three primary assist night for Elias Pettersson. Like, I didn't think he dominated the hockey no. game, but he's in on three of the four, the primary assist on three of the four, and uh, he's up to fifth in NHL scoring. So uh, he did his part. And, uh, you know, even JT Miller, who I don't think is playing his best hockey, but, boy, uh, he's such a good player that you present him with that sort of opportunity. We saw it in overtime in Washington. And uh, clearly Jeff Petrie wasn't watching the highlights of that game because, boy, did he serve that one up. Besser with a nice screen and JT Miller, you know, that's the start. And that's the formula for the Canucks, right, is get the lead, add to it. And so uh, once they got up 2 nothing, you know, that's sort of been their pocket. That's been their comfort zone. And they were able to ride that out to a 4-1 victory. Uh, Dakota Joshua. And, and first of all, like what an awful awful break um, to enter that hand and we hope it's not broken uh, coming off his career game. How do you think that third line minus him and with Mikheyev on the left side, if in the fact it's going to continue to be Mikheyev, how do you think they did? How do you think they'll do minus Dakota? Yeah, I thought a relatively quiet night. Uh, there were a few opportunities. Connor Garland's motor's always running. And so there was one sequence in the second period where he came out from behind the net, tried to wrap around. Teddy Bluger got the rebound and Ilya Mikheyev was fishing for a loose puck as well. But, you know, other than that, didn't notice them an awful lot. Garland had a, a chance on the first shift of the hockey game. Uh, but, I, look, I was a little surprised that Ilya Mikheyev was the choice there. Like, you've got Phil Giuseppe, who you know, hasn't blown uh, the doors off anybody since his start to the season. But if you're just looking for a big body that can play straight lines and sort of replicate what Dakota Joshua brings, I thought Phil Giuseppe might be the answer there, uh, even a Sam Lafferty. So if it doesn't work for Mikheyev, I think they've got some options waiting in the wings. But, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for Ilya Mikheyev. Take him out of the top six. It reduces some of the expectation of offense uh, to some degree. Although on this team, I think everybody's expected to pull their, their weight. Uh, whatever the case, uh, it's just been too long now for Mikheyev uh, where he hasn't been noticeable. And I think it was more of that. So we'll see if he lasts in that spot or if Rick Tockett has to tinker. Because uh, quite frankly, uh, where he had been playing on Tuesday night in Chicago on the fourth line, that's kind of where Ellie Mikheyev is right now. He can still contribute on the penalty kill, but there's just zero in the way of offensive expectations from him. And I thought maybe going back into Chicago would bring back some good vibes because that's the last place that he had scored. But uh, turn the page on that storyline and who knows uh, what his next offensive contribution will look like. But uh, I, I would say that it's uh, precarious that he will remain in that spot. And best case scenario would be that he doesn't have to because Dakota Joshua won't be out of the lineup for, for too, too long. Do they have to upgrade Mikheyev by the trade deadline? Would you feel comfortable with him at this? Because the slump is now so long. Would you feel comfortable with him in a playoff series? And is there any chance that Phil Kessel is that upgrade? And I think he's slower, guys. There's a, there a puck race in the third period, and the defenseman sort of had to even pivot a little bit. And Mikheyev didn't win that race to the puck. And I just thought I saw that race, and I was like, he's. I think he might be slower than the start of the season. Yeah, I wonder how much of it's in his head now uh, mm. when it gets beyond 20 games. Uh, you know, he doesn't hurt the Canucks. Like, I think he's still defensively responsible. He's got a, a penalty-killing utility, especially when Joshua is out of the lineup. I think that's an area that he can step in and, and contribute. 
Um, but I mean, he's basically been relegated to a $5 million fringe player on this hockey club. So, you know, can they move forward with him? Yes. He's not hurting them. They're still winning hockey games. Uh, but if there is a way to upgrade and to bring in somebody that can give you a little bit more, uh, in the here and now, and certainly into the playoffs as well, then I think that this management group is looking, I, I don't think that they're done. Uh, I think they recognize that, uh, you know, the Lindholm acquisitions looking awfully good for them now with four goals and five points through six games. I don't think they're going big ticket shopping, but uh, I still think that there's uh, room to move in terms of depth players, both up front and on defense. And, you know, yeah, my first chance to visit with you guys since uh, Phil Kessel touched down. And look, I think they're handling this properly. I, I Even before uh, Phil arrived in Vancouver, I thought if he's serious about this at 36 and a half, having been out of the game since last year's playoffs, uh, I think there is a real element of show me, show me that you still got it. Uh, and the fact that he was willing to bypass Vancouver and go to Abbotsford and, and, you know, lace up with the, the baby Canucks. I think that's a good sign from Kessel. I think it's the right place for him at this stage. I will say that I watched about five minutes of raw video of him the other day in that first practice. And I know that there are clips out there. I've seen a little bit more than just the clips uh, that were curated in drills. He looked fine, but boy, between the drills, it was a real struggle. And I mm. guess that's to be expected at his age and being away from the game. Like it's one thing to skate on your own. It's another to rent ice and have you know, a skills coach or somebody. We're talking about joining midstream, even at the American hockey league level with guys that have been playing for 45 or 50 games. That is not easy. And I think it's important too to remember, like Vegas felt that they had better options. He played four games in the playoffs. They won the Stanley cup without Phil Kessel, even though he was on the roster the Vancouver Canucks are a first-place team without Phil Kessel. They don't need Phil Kessel, but if Kessel can get up to speed, if he can find his conditioning, and I'm going to give him every opportunity. I mean, the guy's a pro through and through, but just on day one, yeah, he looked like a guy that had been out of the game for a while and was playing catch-up. So as a depth option in the event of some injuries, uh, you know, I think they could do worse than Phil Kessel. But I don't think, despite all these reports, that it's going to happen. And I suppose the dots certainly look like they're leading that way. I don't think they're there yet. And I still think that there's an element of uh, uh, proof of the pudding from Phil Kessel's side that he has to show. And so I'm curious, does he sign a PTO with Abbotsford? Does he play games in the American Hockey League? Is that next for him? Um, you know, it's funny. On the way out of the building after the morning skate yesterday, I uh, was walking out with Daniel and Henrik. And I said, ah, I saw you... Uh, you guys put uh, Phil through his paces there yesterday. And Daniel laughed and he said, yeah, I'm sure he's still tired. Uh, <laughs> so I think they recognized that uh, maybe it was a, a bit of a, a day one struggle for, for Phil Kessel. The trade corner line I quite like for the Canucks right now uh, as the second line. And then, you know, Phil's probably an emergency, you know, break glass only um, scenario. But at the same time, that Miller-Besser line seems a little out of source right now. Heck, they couldn't even get their... P's and Q's together with an empty net there with Miller a mile offside, robbing Besser of the goal. Are you concerned at all about that top line? And would, would he be an option there? Again, not immediately, but in a couple of weeks time. Not concerned, but I will admit that there is, for the first time all season, a little bit of a red flag on Brock Besser. And an empty net goal isn't going to cure uh, the issues here. That, you know, didn't score on the road trip, comes back, and didn't look all that dangerous against the Detroit Red Wings, has scored in just one of the last 13 Canuck games, and it was the Hattrick game. So when he scored, he went big and got to 30. And, you know, but, like, my concern is that 
he's now gone six without a goal. If he doesn't score on Saturday, that's seven. I'm starting to look at everything around this hockey club through a playoff prism. And Brock Besser can't go missing in the playoffs for seven games at a time. He can't. I mean, he's been too important to this group. He's been too much of this team's success that I wanted to believe that, you know, consistency was cooked into his game now. And he's only scored in three games since Christmas. A three-goal game, a two-goal game, and he had a single-goal game somewhere along the line. But, you know, again, uh, they need him. They need him to score. And the fact that they continue to win speaks to the depth that they've got around him and adding Lindholm obviously helps. But uh, I, I'm a little confused by his usage on the power play that they've got him as this right-shot guy stapled to the left half wall. Uh, he's had so much success this season in front of the net, tipping pucks and and finding those tap-ins. The power play has gone ice cold now. I mean, oh, for its last five games, plus it's given up a couple of shorthanded goals. Feels to me like, why not just go right back to basics, put these guys in the positions where they are best suited and most likely to succeed. And for Brock Besser, that's not on the half wall as the playmaking guy. It's get him to the front of the net. So as I say, red flags only, no real concern or alarm or panic, but uh, they need more from Brock Besser. They do. Like He can't just sit on 30 forever. Uh, there was one time they were talking about 50 goal season. Now it's a question of, you know, can he get to, to 40? And I hope that he can, he'll score again this year. He's not done, but he's just looked more ineffective really since the all-star break than at any other point. This Jeff, season. I blame you. Okay. As he said on <laughs> spitting chiclets, I got to 30 to shut the Vancouver media up. And that was the finish line. Done. Done. done and done. Mm. Well, he's he said no he got over, he questions. said he got over thirty. And the last time I checked, I'm not sure I agree that he's over thirty. No, he's not. He's, he's a math 30. problem there. Yes. Yeah. Um. Speaking he's, of, he's not going to shut me up. Come on. <laughs> Many have tried. We've he been knows, trying for. He knows that. <laughs> um. Speaking one of, of the biggest companies in the world has tried to shut you up uh, in BC. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Not happening. Yeah. Uh, speaking of special teams, they kill off all five Detroit power play opportunities on Thursday night. Jeff, the penalty killing percentage has crept over 80%, 13th in the league. Dare I say, do the Vancouver Canucks, Jeff, have a good penalty killing team? Well, certainly since Christmas. Uh, their penalty kill, really, since the middle of December, uh, has been an absolute strength. And that's the first time we've said that in a long, long time to the point now that this is what I'm charting, guys, around the Vancouver Canucks. Will the penalty kill league ranking outstrip the power play right. league ranking? Right now, the power play's gone cold. It's still in the top 10. It's tied for ninth, but penalty killing's tied for 13th. Like the gap is closed there. And if this trend continues, uh, it may not be that long before the Canucks penalty kill is actually more of a weapon uh, then the power play, and who would have thought that, and certainly things that we haven't been able to say about this hockey club in a, a long, long time. But I think a lot of it tracks back. Middle of December, Pia Suter came back in the lineup. Zadorov was acquired in late November and started to hit his stride. Uh, it coincides with, again, just the continued growth and development of Noah Juleson and what a story that has turned out to be. I mean, a, a penalty-killing specialist, essentially, uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. And so... You know, they've had all these healthy bodies, and now you add Elias Lindholm, and he's uh, stepped in as a right-shot center guy and, and able to to kill some penalties as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think with the work of the coaching staff and and give Mike Yo and Adam Foote uh, their flowers here as well, 
Uh, but this group's been in lockstep, and ultimately you need your goaltender to be your best penalty killer, and Thatcher Demko was uh, dialed in again last night and uh, has been for much of this season. So all the component parts are there to uh, continue this, I think, for the Vancouver Canucks that, you know, you don't have to watch other teams' power plays sort of with uh, your hands over your eyes and uh, fear the worst that this is a team that has shown an ability to rise to the occasion. And, and in fact, in the first period, guys, last night Detroit has – two and a half power plays because the Zorf penalty carried over into the second, they didn't mount a shot on goal. Like what an opportunity for the Detroit Red Wings. They had two plus power plays in the first period and didn't get a single shot on goal. So uh, credit to the Canucks penalty killers, uh, you know, stepping in the way, blocking shots, uh, keeping them to the outside, taking away shooting lanes, all those types of things. And then ultimately if shots get through, uh, if Thatcher Demko can see them, he's going to stop them more often than not. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of been fun to, uh, see this reversal of fortune where a penalty kill that sunk this team so often over the last couple of seasons now uh, seems to be able to give them a boost and turn some games in their favor. Lastly, for me, uh, Elias Lindholm is acquired with a 6.99 shooting percentage as the Calgary Flame. He arrives on the Vancouver Canucks. He's now shooting at 31%, 30.8 to be exact. Um, the Canucks have wowed us in a number of statistical categories this season but people kept on thinking oh the, the shooting percentage is just too high it's going to regress well it's only slightly it has do they just do something that allows guys like it, it, it seems more than coincidental that this skilled player who's way down arrives on this team and immediately starts to shoot the lights out like do they just create good chances that you know if you give it to a skilled player he's gonna he's gonna you know convert it well, I think there's that element that they've got great finishers and highly skilled guys. I think part of it, too, is they don't waste a lot of shots. Like some teams throw everything to the net. That's not the Canucks M.O. And it, it just it hasn't been. And I think part of it's score effects as well. Like they've had a lot of third periods where they have been outshot badly because the damage has been done. They've got these big leads in the first 40 minutes. And so, you know, last night I think they had five third period shots. So their, their shot totals don't blow anybody away. But I think a lot of it is shot selection. And JT Miller's talked about this, that one of the beauties of getting out in front and having the lead is in the third period, you don't have to put everything to the net. Like if you're the trailing team, obviously you've got to score. How do you score? You get pucks to the net. And so uh, that's where score effects coming into play. And I think for the Canucks, it does sort of change the calculus just a little bit. And for a guy like Lindholm, like look at his debut in Carolina. No real shots on goal but two deflections that went in. So he didn't even put a puck to the net himself, but he redirected a couple, you know, those go on his record for his shooting percentage. I, I think we've seen a little bit of a change in the second half compared to the first, like, you know, opening night, eight against the Oilers, 10 in San Jose. They scored five against the St. Louis Blues in a five, nothing win. You know, there were a lot of those blowout wins in the first half of the season. Games have been, a little closer, the Canucks haven't been quite as explosive, and yet they're still finding ways to win. And and I think in terms of preparation for what is left over the balance of the schedule and ultimately into the playoffs, uh, this has been a good rehearsal. You don't yep. need seven, eight, nine, ten goals to win most nights. I mean, last year under Bruce, they only won if they scored six or seven. But uh, this is a better team, better defensively, better goaltending. And so, you know, a lot of nights, three and sometimes four is a luxury uh, you know, that's just the way that they're playing right now. So, yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny that, yeah, you bring in a guy who was struggling in Calgary and he gets that uh, Vancouver Connect bump as well. Uh, we've been asking, you know, 
10 games in, 20 games in. Is it sustainable? Well, there are 55 games and all they do is win and they do it with uh, a fair bit of flair and a lot of goals. So I'm thinking this year, if it's an outlier, what an outlier for the Vancouver Canucks because just about everything they touch uh, is coming up roses for them. Yeah, uh, two-thirds of the way through the season. Did you mean to uh, say do something? Back to the do something? Okay, it just slipped out. All right. Uh, Lastly for me, Jeff, Ellabuck Demko tomorrow. Winner gets the Vesna. Can we just (laughs) put it all on tomorrow? Uh, First of three remaining between these teams, Winnipeg will be back here on another Saturday in March, part of that big homestand. And then their only visit to Winnipeg this year is game 82. I mean, everything might be settled. That could very well be a backup goaltending battle uh, on the final night of the regular season. So we may not have that many opportunities. Uh, I would think, though, this time around, the Jets have been off since uh, Wednesday. Uh, Canucks obviously uh, playing last night. Thatcher Demko, 40th start, 30th victory. So a couple of nice big round numbers for him. And what a contrast in styles, guys. Like this Winnipeg team, Mark Shifley leads the Jets with 43 points. He's their only skater with more than 36 points. Wow. Like you look at Pedersen and Miller and Hughes and Besser and Philip Heronik, and you've got Mark Shifley with 43 points. Kyle Connor has 19 goals. I know he missed a stretch there, but... The Winnipeg Jets have nine goals in their last eight games, nine goals scored in their last eight games, but they give up nothing. Stingiest team in the league by a bunch. Like the Canucks are the third best defensive team in the league. Winnipeg's given up 24 fewer goals to this point uh, on the season. So uh, great challenge for the Canucks. We know that they can score, but we also have seen some times this year when I think the Philadelphia games uh, in Minnesota, some of these teams that force the Canucks to grind, that hasn't necessarily produced the best for the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, so I'm looking forward to a contrast of styles. Can the Jets, you know, dumb it down and, and just prevent, prevent, or can the Canucks break through and force Winnipeg maybe out of its comfort zone a little bit and try to open the game up? Uh, we shall see. But uh, to bring it full circle, a Saturday night, uh, we've seen some good games on Saturdays at Rogers Arena, all Canadian matchup, two teams that uh, are near the top of the standings. It sets up well. Again, uh, should be a fun one. Uh, here against the Jets. And we'll be listening to Rinkwide. Jeff, thank you for this. We'll catch up, not Monday, because we have that matinee in Minnesota. You'll have Rinkwide on that game as well. We'll catch up Tuesday. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. Oh, to the people. To the people. We, let's, yes. let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I missed the people there. Been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. To the people we go, brought to you by Great Clips. We'll start with a hot take, JC. With depth additions at the trade deadline, the Vancouver Canucks don't make a single draft pick in 2024. That is bold. I I have let my mind wander to, boy, they could make only a couple of draft picks here, but it is conceivable what Jay is saying here. So remember... They're going to owe Calgary either their fourth-round pick or their third-round pick, depending on how far they advance in the playoffs, which means they have either a third and a fourth, two sixths, and a seventh. uh, So four picks remaining. Four picks remaining. Has that ever happened before where a team just didn't have any I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so either. There was the one year Columbus went crazy and didn't right. have a lot of picks because Panarin, they went for Duchesne, it. Yeah. I want to say there was a year recently where Pittsburgh or Colorado made very few draft choices, maybe even both franchises. 
I've seen like four. Toronto's done that. CBJ's three right. in that year. And it was the fourth, fourth, and seventh. The seventh round Colorado, picks are tough yeah. to trade. Like Colorado just... made two in 2022. Two. <laughs> like that's a long way to go oh for God. two. What wow. were the rounds? What it's were the just, rounds? Uh, I, sorry, I, I moved on past it. Yeah, Pittsburgh has had a year with four, and that's, of course, a Rutherford year. Colorado in the 2022 draft made a six-round pick and a seventh-round pick. You're making the trip to the draft for they a sixth and a seventh. till the 193rd pick of the draft before they got to call a name. Oh then they called another at 225, which may have been amongst the last. Well, for our listeners who haven't been to the draft, you have to understand how horrible that existence would be. Like to not be involved. To sit at there all. at the table for what a three to four hour first round, and then to come back the next day, probably and hour sit three two for five hours. Yeah. yeah, probably three or so hours. Yeah, that was the last pick in the draft too. Two twenty five. <laughs> Those poor amateur scouts. They do <laughs> all that hard terrible. work. Jay, I can't sizzle you, but no. I'll give you a hot. I, it's I like a high hot. I love. I like the construction. Yeah, hot, hot, hot. Omar, either the Vancouver market is the Canucks' worst critic or this is the most flawed first-place team in NHL history. Omar, both things can be true. I'm not buying what you're saying, selling Omar, though. Because we're parsing... I don't think, uh, honestly, I, I think I think what Omar, Omar is getting at is that I think for a long, long time, and still to some degree, there are a lot of Canucks fans, you know, twice bitten, three times shy, or you know, fill in whatever numbers you want that are kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Oh, and I that. get it. You've there's been that. conditioned to expect, Don Taylor always says, impending doom. But there's also this, Omar, is that, y- yes, this team has waited a long time to be good, and and should you just enjoy it? Yeah, you can enjoy it. But this is also a very savvy hockey market. And so when the team is this good, they all of a sudden see an opportunity. Like, is this the year they freaking end a five-decade drought mm. and win the cup? And it, in order to do so, they're going to need to do X, Y, and Z. So I, I think it's just a it's a high standard. It's just and it's a it's a dream scenario here for Canucks fans. They just want to make sure it happens. Cody in the NFL, the pointless kickoffs provide another opportunity for three minutes of commercials. Go to the ads right before the kick. Thirty to sixty seconds of broadcast for the kick, followed by. Three more minutes of commercials. If there was no kick, that extra natural break disappears. That's a lot of extra ad revenue over the course of the season. Cody, you're right, and people have grumbled about this, particularly with the primetime games for years. They're doing it less. I do think you could find time for those ads elsewhere in the broadcast if you got rid of the kickoff. Not to mention the fact, you know, you just stitch it on to the existing break after the touch. That's right. Half or time. around halftime. Yeah, you know, Blake's worked in TV production. Uh, it happened the other day in the Canucks game. Was it in Washington? Where there was like no whistles in the third so you period. you lose a break? Yeah. And, and also, Cody, you can make it up over the course of the season too. Yeah. Right? Like if you miss the ad break, not enough stoppages in play, natural stop, stoppages in play on a given Sunday or for a given game, you make it up either that afternoon, perhaps, with other games over the course of the season. So it's doable. Baconator and Prince George memo to Ryan Reeves. You joined the NHL in 2010-2011. The same season, an open ice hit caught Aaron Rome a four-game suspension during the finals. Your hockey-tolerated violence back in my 
day narrative doesn't hold any water, signed Coley Campbell. Oh, boy. Not to mention he uh, got injured falling over in open ice by himself the other day, did Ryan Reeves. So. Mm-hmm. Basketball, Phil, tell me I'm wrong. NBA All-Star Weekend, the NHL smartly schedules just one game on the Friday night. They would have had the calendar to themselves. So stupid. Yes. Friday just doesn't seem to be a night that a lot of NHL teams want to host games. It's funny. Make it a night. Quite funny. Like Vancouver likes it. Like they, they like Saturday I love too. The fr- I love the. Fr- but, I, I realize in Canada we love the hockey night yeah. in Canada on Saturday, but I, I think Friday night games are great. You see it a little bit on Thursday. You get that weekend vibe. It seems a little arena. more date night. I'm really surprised that more American teams don't want to load up on Friday night games. And Phil's a hundred percent right in that. Um, this was an opportunity to make some hay with your direct competitors in the NBA not having games because the ulcer. In the YouTube inbox, tripping out. Nucks need a honey badger. Bowling ball type of player for the playoffs. Tyler Mott, Rafi Torres type. Cunning out of San Jose might work. Is that where Luke Cunning is right now? Yep. Lost track of him. I don't disagree with the sa- sentiment. Yep. I told you, I like uh, even a guy that doesn't mind a butt end into the ribs every now and then, like a, a guy with that with that pedigree that uh, mm-hmm. is a bit of annoying to play. CB, against. if the Canucks wanted to look at Kessel, why didn't they bring him in earlier? It's three weeks enough time to gauge whether he's NHL game ready. Yeah, it's not a bad point. It's, it might have been the player's own doing, but mm-hmm. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. But yeah, Sterling, they need to trade a first for Tanif. He's a huge difference maker, really boosting their playoff chances. And Myers has been showing his weakness again lately, and will get eaten up in the playoffs. They should trade Myers to free up cap space, or possibly trade him for a physical penalty killing forward at the disturbed i'm not sure about the last part there at the disturbed i was eating hot dogs in abbotsford when the news broke if that's not a sign mm-hmm. i don't know what is report back the disturbed we'll see a uh, question for you yeah i saw this recently uh floated i forget where are hot dogs gonna make a big comeback here Think of how many restaurants cater specifically to the hamburger. Yeah. And think of how few, comparatively, cater to the hot dog. I think uh, hot dogs still have a stigma that they have to get over. What's that? Just like unhealthy, bad uh, Odds and ends, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. What they're actually made of. Because in Quebec, there are more hot dog places than hamburger places. Yeah. You can get a hamburger at the hot dog place, but the hot dog is front and center. I'll say, I'll say no, that doesn't happen. At CH Pat, is Phil Kessel a Hall of Famer? I think he might have to be eventually. No, I don't mm. think so. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, there's there's some good numbers there. It's 1,200-plus games, the Ironman streak of over 1,000 games, three Stanley Cups, but I think he's going to fall short. Cash. I watched the Philly game. Sealer and Walker are good defensemen. They played a lot, and they didn't make mistakes that I could see. Sealer's big, mobile, and a good shot blocker for under a million AAV. Yeah, Frank Saravelli's been talking about both those guys for some time. Mm-hmm. Nicky Nail Sealer just plays a tough, honest game. The nail gun. That He's he's like just great depth and super cheap and all that stuff. Is Sean Walker that much worse than Chris Tanev? Because probably a lot cheaper acquisition costs than Chris Tanev. And might actually be better with the puck. Like I wonder, like as much as people want Chris mm-hmm. Hanavan, no, and and certainly there is something to be said for chemistry and and knowing that it'll work here. But you know, Walker is probably a lot cheaper to acquire. Doug, 
Hoaglander will get to 30 if he plays with Pedersen the rest of the year. I wondered Ooh, about that. I wondered about it, too. wondered about thought, it, too. You know, 25 yeah. is more, I think, yeah. reasonable. But, I, uh, Doug, he might get scorching hot. If Besser dries up, the goals have to come from somewhere. Is, uh, does does Hoaglander start well, scoring Besser's Ho- goals? And Hoaglander, uh, net front PP2. Going to get more opportunity there by the sounds. Drifter. I'd like to see Pods replace Mikheyev. Mm-hmm. Talk to Mikheyev today. Is Pods the replacement? I don't think just yet. I don't think they believe it just yet. Yeah. And the presence of Kessel, I think, if they sign him and have him on the big club, I think it's only going to uh, make it more difficult for Vasily Pudkols and Arshdeep Baines, Atu Ratu, and others. This year, yeah. But bo- both Ratu and Pods, it's not at the pace that everybody would want, but they're both developing this year. It's a good sign. And to the people we go, brought to you by Great Clips with more than 4,400 hair salons throughout the United States and Canada. Great Clips is the world's largest hair salon brand, official hair salon of the National Hockey League, 37 salons here in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, all of them proudly Canadian-owned and operated more information, check out greatclips.com. Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. Football. Where Geno Smith tweeted praying hands and with good reason the Seahawks are picking up his roster bonus due today of 12.7 million dollars congratulations that's a good weekend Gino go have yourself a night here's the thing now that the Seahawks have paid that bonus does that grease the skids for a Geno Smith trade Making twelve point seven million this year, which is very affordable for a starting quarterback in the NFL. If there's a team out there that views him as a starting quarterback, I mention this Blake because new Seahawks head coach Mike McDonald has name checked Drew Locke in his public comments there, and I see some twelves wondering: Was John Schneider a Drew Locke guy, and Pete Carroll a Geno Smith guy? And that is one of the reasons why Pete Carroll is no longer the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. You may remember Gino was front row for that Pete Carroll press conference and quite emotional. People wondered whether he knew that something was afoot there. And I also ask because the Seahawks with pick 16 in this upcoming draft, is that Michael Panic's territory the quarterback at the University of Washington. I think it's J.J. McCarthy territory, the national championship winning quarterback at the University of Michigan. Some mock drafts have McCarthy going a little higher. Some mock drafts have panics going a little lower. We'll see how they look at the combine. We'll see how they test on their pro days and all of that. Still some draft season left to go here. But could you see a world where the Seahawks trade Geno Smith, and we'll probably get a decent pick for him. You think so? Yeah, I mean, I think you can probably get a third-round pick for Geno Smith. 
And look, some of this may be determined by free agency. Baker Mayfield's a free agent. Kirk Cousins is a, is a free agent. But could you see them drafting a quarterback at 16, having Drew Locke there as insurance and maybe as the starter in 2024, giving yourself some time to build up the young quarterback, not throw him immediately into the fire, and uh, emerge with uh, another pick to use to rebuild the defense. Not sure there's a linebacker worth taking at 16. This is not a particularly great class of linebackers, and you know there's a need there. Defensive tackle is not typically a pick, at least not the big run-stuffing nose tackle. At 16, teams look at that guy as a two-down player now and aren't as um, quick to invest uh, high first-round picks on that profile of player. Now, maybe they just go offensive lineman. Maybe they just go best player available. But this is going to be a very interesting offseason for the Seahawks, where Schneider's now running the show. You have a new head coach with his own ideas, and you have these two veteran quarterbacks. Because as you said earlier in the pro- I think they have to draft a quarterback or have to, have to. at least explore. I mean, I if they don't have to, if it's not have to draft a quarterback, it's acquire a young quarterback, right. someone who could potentially be the future. I mean, unless you're positive you can rehabilitate one of the one of the bad young quarterbacks in the league. But that's, that's I mean. Would there be Justin Fields' interest? I don't know. Um, Anyways. I, it's a bad PR spin. I think people, I think Geno's liked in Seattle. Oh, I think he's very liked. So, I, well, and frankly, he has carried himself beautifully. The yeah. only thing that salvages the departure of Geno is the drafting of Michael Penix. You do that, and I think everybody's on board. Oh. Well. Maybe not Ian Furness in the wazoo alone. You're right. But I hear yes, what you're saying. Yes, you know no, uh, Geno Smith, you can understand why people are in his quarter. Yeah. He has, um, in a, under difficult circumstances following Russell Wilson, carried himself and played. Good teammate. Seems like a good guy. Seems like an incredible teammate. Yeah. I mean, when he was, you know, excited and on the field clapping when Drew Locke got that opportunity late in the year. So, yeah. Uh, like what we've got. Uh, you got to like what you've got. In terms of a teammate and a leader, there, the question is: Can he be? Can he be a championship level quarterback? And I do believe the uh, the die is cast there, and the answer is no. Errors and omissions, and shame on me. Meant to get to this on Thursday's show, but there was a press release from Apple and MLS. Oh yes, extolling the world class team of broadcasters that will bring you the play by play and analysis. Yes, yeah. Like Price, Paul Dolan, back in the saddle. Yeah, as your to it. voices of the White Caps. It's hard to believe it's like a couple weeks away. Here, uh, mm-hmm. watched a couple of real White Cap games already. Not even preseason. Uh, Although I was thinking these Tigris games effectively become preseason games. You were never winning that tournament anyway, so probably not. And, and they're good preseason games because yes. you actually tried in them. You right, know, like it's full Absolutely. try. So, there was something at stake, full try. Okay, yeah. we lost them. You know what? Great tune-ups. Yeah. And more Whitecaps news. Boy, these these new jerseys. I love them. Fire. I love them. Yeah, I mean, it's not in their color palette, but it, they're special edition. They're you know, golden anniversary, 50th anniversary jerseys. Um, they, they're pretty classy looking. Like, they, mm-hmm. they look like... 
Like a Champions League yeah. kind of uh, kind of a kit. Gold. Yeah. I like it. like mm-hmm. it a lot. So hopefully it gives them some swagger. Other errors. Uh, we had two poll questions to report results on Thursday. I only got to one. Grady picked me up there. And I did not know Leaf legend Bobby McMahon. He of the hat trick the other night. Speaking you of did. Picking, yeah. You did. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us, Rinkwide Vancouver, Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support those community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.